Hello and welcome to the NK News Podcast. I'm your host, Jacko's Wetsuit, still playing with my audio levels even though I've started recording. And today is Monday the 29th of June 2020. It's 9am and we're having a quick round table here. I am joined by NK News and Career Risk founder Chad O'Carroll. Good morning. Uh, very soon, well, no, let's say he's, he's still our uh, senior editor here, uh, Oliver Hotham. Morning. Oh, dear. Uh, <laughs> and intrepid reporter on the North Korea beat, Jongmin Kim. Good morning. All right, so let's try to make sense of what's happened in the last couple of weeks. The last, uh, not quite round table, but round ferry podcast that you and I did, uh, Chad, uh, with uh, Andre Lankov and uh, Andre Abrahamian. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, we were coming back from Yonpyongdo. Things were starting to get tense then, but the two or two and a half weeks since then have been completely hard to understand. So, where do we begin? Where, where did this most recent cycle? We're all anyone who's watched North Korea for the last fifty years is used to cycles of um, uh, crisis, discussions, some form of deal being reached, and then back to stasis, and then crisis beginning again. But this time, it happened faster than ever. So, Chad, where would you begin this? Uh, well, yeah, if we rewind to early June, Kim Yo-jong, Kim Jong-un's sister, put out a statement uh, berating the South Korean government for the fact that these uh, defector activists were launching balloons containing uh, quite provocative anti-regime messages into South Korea. Presumably, some of them actually reached there because it seemed to really trigger the North Koreans. Following that, we saw a very rapid, very, very rapid escalation of North Korean threats uh, threats to basically tear up the 2018 uh, September inter-Korean military agreement, um, threats to send 12 million leaflets from North Korea into South Korea. Yeah, um, and which we, we don't know if that's a lot compared to normal North Korean military <laughs> drops because they've done a lot before. Which, I don't know where, where 12 million fits in there, but it's a lot. Yeah, it's a lot. And then uh, also some rather ambiguous... I mean, we also had the inter-Korean liaison office being demolished and then two very ambiguous threats about the potential uh, health and survivability of these defectors mm. who are involved in... You know, there seems to be a vague threat on their life. And then the other thing was uh, a, a vague threat of a military action. But then, all of a sudden, everything just disappeared and Kim Jong-un changed his mind. Now, probably helpful to explain a little bit of the context there. We do know that there was a few years ago a, 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 um, a defector who was picked up for apparently being tasked with the mission of assassinating Park Sung-hak, the leader of one of these defector groups, yep. right? So it, it wouldn't be the first time that... Uh, and, of course, we've also had people who were picked up for trying to kill the late Hwang Jung-yop when he was here in South Korea. Right. So, so there have occasionally been attempts on defector lives. And in 1997, there was the cousin by marriage or something of Kim Jong-il who was shot dead in the corridor of his own apartment. So these things do happen occasionally. Yeah, and the language that we saw the North Korean state media using about the defector activists was like so poisonous. Uh, talk of... Um, uh, you know, paying the ultimate price. Mm. Uh, it really did. You know, there was a, a, a quote Jongmin picked up on from the Rodong Shinmun, which was a North Korean court representative set, stating that those defector activists fall within the remit of DPRK law. Oh. Um, it really looked like they were trying to put the sort of fear of God or fear of Kim mm. in these uh, individuals' minds. Jongwen, walk us through that a little bit. Uh, what has the North Korean media been doing? And is this unusual? 
the unusual part is how responsive the state media and also other high-level officials were to Kim Yo-jong's statements. Uh, this time, mm. uh, there were two to three important Kim Yo-jong statements in June. Uh, the first one started with Kim Yo-jong asking, urging South Korea to stop um, activists from the leafleting activities. And then she warned that if that goes on, she um, North Korea will be cutting off all communications line, communication lines with the North and with the South. And that actually happened right away. So they cut off all three types of um, communication lines. What are those three types? Um, the western one, the eastern one, and also the vessel-to-vessel one. Oh, so these are phone lines. There's also the Blue House one. To, right. To, ah, the Blue uh, House to wherever Kim is. Yeah. As Professor Moon Chung-in said on Friday, cutting off communication lines just means They're they not don't answer the phone, which they weren't doing before. Right. So was Moon Jong-in saying it was a big nothing burger? Yeah, he was saying the, the perception was that it was like a severing of the lines, but it's not. It's just they, they just don't respond to phone calls. Hmm. But do we really know that, though? Because be they, they did make I mean, a point of saying that, like, you know, giving this sort of salami slice detail, we are dispatching people to, to cut the lines ah. on the West Sea, the East Sea. Uh, I, think, I think the point was that you wouldn't know either way because the phone, the communication lines weren't being used before anyway right Hmm. so that was a symbolic gesture it seems because north korea is saying like we know that these communications communication lines are important thing to south korea because of panmunjom declaration and all that and they are going against it and afterwards kim yo-jong also warned that leaves in office will not be seen anymore and that it will collapse which actually happened right away as well. Yeah, what was the time different? The time lag between her saying that the uh, liaison office would collapse and when it was actually blown up. Jacko, it's all about the time lag between my tweet predicting it would happen and it going down, which was two point five days approximately. I think Chad, is Chad actually predicted they would blow it up before Kim Yo Jong threatened to blow it up. No, oh, you didn't. <laughs> no, I, I saw her talking about it turning to dust, and I just thought, like. Given what happened at Yongbyon, given what happened at Pungeri, I, I can just imagine that's the North Korean. Yeah, these big, big explosions. Um, no, she said it would blow up on. She said it would be seen to collapse on a Saturday, I think it was, and then on the Monday there were all these um, sort of guys being interviewed in the Rodong Shinmen. Essentially, they were a bunch of miners. Mm. It's a very funny interview because they were like on their. They were supposedly on their lunch break. And they were like talking about how, oh, you know, when I saw her talking about that piece of trash liaison office, I was just laughing to myself about it blowing up and we're ready. We have the dynamite. Hmm. And uh, the article spoke very vividly about how they were listening to the dynamite at the mine going off and laughing and thinking about that happening to the liaison office. So so it's a, a completely coincidental vox pop. With a group of yes. uh, of civic-minded miners Indeed. who then volunteered their services to uh, yeah. to blow up the, uh, the inter-Korean liaison office, uh, and the government said, "Sure, why not?" And then the next day it blew up. I think it was yeah. on a Tuesday. Yeah, I thought they'd go for the Monday because that was June fifteenth, mm. which was the twentieth oh, yeah. anniversary of the first inter-Korean declaration. Very symbolic way to just say, "Screw you, Moon." Now, John, do we have any idea when was the last time a South Korean actually entered that building? It was January 31st. Oh, it's been that long. So it was already closed physically because of COVID-19 upon North's request um, because of prevention measures that they were doing. So I checked with MOU. Everybody 
um, left the office as of January 31st, but still they were doing these test calls mm. twice a day um, with the North using the Luzon channel, which they just call a phone line, basically. Right. Okay. Wow. Um, so, so Kim Yo-jong, uh, I think we talked about this before off the podcast, Jong-min, that, uh, that her... Uh, constantly being quoted in the Rodong Shinmun and several times in a, several, several days in a row, uh, and then not just being quoted but being seen to be instigating something. That this is something unusual for Kim Yo Jong, right? That it's uh, it's a sign, perhaps, of her uh, increasing importance in the North Korean institutional structure. Uh, yes, because the uh, the importance of recent June statement of Kim Yo Jong is that it what they were all carried in Rodong Shinmun. In March, she started writing her own byline, mm. but they were only carried via KCNA, mm. um, which is for um, external. not yeah external audience. But in June, all her statements was car- were carried in Rodong Shinmun, plus um, high-level officials like the vice premier of the cabinet and the railroad minister, they wrote personal commentaries supporting mm. um, her statements as well. And if you see the structure how Rodong put it there was one day when the United Front Department director issued a statement along with Kim Yo-jong's statement Kim Yo-jong is the first vice department director which means she's like technically like lo- lower in position compared to Chang Geum-chol right. but her statement was above his okay so one perhaps one more example of uh, of North Korea uh, where the the stated title of somebody isn't always an indication of how high or low they are in in, in the rankings. Mm. Well, I have a question. How many North Koreans are aware that she's Kim Jong-un's sister? Ah. Because the... Has that ever been mentioned in, in North Korean media, as far as we know? All I can think of is when Kim Jong-il died, obviously she was there, you know, as part of the family, so... But that wasn't in KCNA. Right, and so you'll... I think it would have been on KCTV, though, mm. during the funeral. So maybe your eagle died. How do we know she's a sister? <laughs> From, yeah, I mean, <laughs> there you go. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. uh, family, family trees, family in, trees. in books published outside North Korea? Uh, yeah. No, I mean, that's the question. How many North Koreans are reading that and are aware that that's the leader's sister? Or do they just think this young lady is very powerful for whatever reason? I imagine there's a whispers and gossip going around enough for people to know but the thing is hmm. um it's although although it doesn't say that kim yo jong is the pekdu bloodline in rodong shinmun ah okay so that's it, a key called pekdu bloodline yeah yeah they they don't technically say it but this time one of the most important statements like one of the most important sentences in kim yo jong's statement is that um her power was authorized by mm. kim jong un himself and the party and the state and blah 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 so mm. she actually mentioned Kim Jong-un's name in her statement, which was very, um, very unusual. Yeah, I mean, you don't normally read stuff like that. Like, you know, uh, Kim Jong-nam, for example, when he was the titular, titular leader of the country and meeting uh, diplomats. Kim or, Jong-nam. Kim Jong-nam, sorry. When he was meeting all these delegations, he w- wouldn't have said, you know, by the power bestowed in me by... The supreme leader, I hereby grant you your ambassadorship. Right. And also she was like, Kim Jong-un authorized power upon me and then I'm entrusting this power Mm. to make next decision to the general staff of the KPA, Korean People's Army, which was also uh, very threatening to South Korea because it was basically 
hinting that the next move will be a military one. Mm. Now, this, of course, all comes in the wider context of Kim Jong-un not being seen much or heard much these days, yeah. right? So, Chad, tell us a bit more about that. Because, of course, we had our famous Where Is Kim podcast a couple of months ago. Uh, where yeah. is he now? And how much has he been seen since that podcast? Well, it's it's uh, today it's the 21st day since he was last seen. He, and Was that the, uh, the fertilizer factory? No, no. Uh, he made a, a small uh, strategic meeting appearance. Um, I, I forget the title of the meeting, but interestingly, it was 21 days from that to the Sunchon uh, factory opening. Mm. And prior to that, uh, I think it was 21 days or more uh, yeah, longer, in fact, because it, yeah, he went he went missing in yeah, he didn't early go to April. The, um, to the yeah, day so, of the sun. so basically, we now have three uh, 21 day plus absences from public view mm. um which is you know highly highly unusual i can't stress how unusual that is when you look at the data um which we're going to be doing later today crunching his typical appearances for now what is a, a quarter of a year having right three three in-person appearances uh in that period it, it's very very low and so yeah, there are big questions about what's going on and with all that's been happening with Kim Yo-jong as well. Um, you know, a lot of people are scratching their heads and it's got to the point where on Friday we had the Japanese defense minister saying that things basically are unusual and the Japanese government also has questions about the health of Kim Jong-un and indeed COVID. And, and to be quite frank, I would take Japanese concerns about this very seriously because they don't have skin in the game like South Korea. South Korea consistently... Um, basically says that everything is fine. There are no signs of anything unusual being detected. Um, and Japan, I think, rightly is saying, well, actually, this is unusual. Right. So Chad's number, it's based on uh, photo evidence. But Kim Jong-un did appear in Rodong Shimon recently via text. He guided a meeting recently, um, which was actually on the inter-Korean issues as well, because Kim Jong-un, um, said the next action would be military. And then KPA did raise it in a meeting and Kim Jong-un decided to defer it. Is this the pre-meeting of the military commission? Preliminary meeting, yes. Okay. So he appeared We've not there. seen the actual meeting yet. Right. So it's, has it happened? No, it hasn't happened. So okay. the preliminary meeting of the Central Military Commission happened and then... Reportedly. Last Wednesday, right? Yeah. And then the meeting of the Central Commission... Military commission hasn't actually taken place. Right. Yet. And then the preliminary meeting, it didn't have any photos in KCTV nor Rodong Shinmun. And mm. reportedly, it was held via video conference. Yeah. So, which is the first time we've heard about video conferences here in North Korea. Right. I did see in South Korea, they used a picture of that. That's true. With Kim Jong un. With no, Kim Jong un, it's true. Overseeing. I think there was a teleconference a couple of months ago with Kim Jong un. Oh. Uh, I'm not sure. Maybe not. No, Facts straight, Oliver. Um, no, but they have definitely had teleconferences, like oh. the video. I, I don't. Know, that's the first time I saw a video conference. Mm. But uh, are the two sort of major theories about what's up with Kim Jong Un? Is it still basically either a he's trying to avoid a COVID nineteen infection, or b he's uh, suffering from some kind of a health ailment that's not related to COVID nineteen, or both at the same time? Yeah. I mean, if you if you're post operation, yeah. you know, you'd probably be a high risk person. That know, makes sense. Yeah. So. He falls within that, the high-risk weight category. Um, you know, I, he would probably not fare very well on the COVID, especially if he's had recent cardiac surgery. 
but it, it it's yeah it's really odd because they insist continuously that there's no covid yeah all the state media photos we see everyone wearing masks mm. we now know from beijing's experience that when you do get over the the curve then people do stop stop wearing masks and going back to normal so it doesn't right. really add up yeah now the south korean government i think has, has uh, really played down those those suggestions haven't they they have, yeah. This is what I was I was saying earlier, and um, I don't think they're probably likely to be the most honest brokers of um, fact on this. Uh, there's a lot of political reasons they might be reticent to uh, to call it as it is, which is that things look very unusual right now. Hmm. So, how then did? Uh Actually, no, before I go that far, uh, we should drill down a little bit more on the different groups that are sending things into North Korea. So uh, to my recollection, there are uh, at least two groups of defectors whose messages are extremely political. They often use uh, caricatures of or uh, yucky images of uh, the Kim family. That's on the one hand. And on the other hand, we have this uh, religious group, the Voice of the Martyrs. And uh, I know, Chad, you've got uh, some things to share with us because you went out on a launch mission with them last week, didn't you? So why don't you start with that? Yeah, I, I, I was invited as media to observe one of their balloon launches. And on Thursday night, we went up to Kangwado, which is uh, for listeners who are unfamiliar with South Korean terrain. It's an island literally just a mile or two away from uh, North Korean territory. And they brought... Four... It's a long drive, isn't it? You've got to go through yeah. Gimpo first to yeah. get there. It's a couple yeah. of hours. Yeah, and they had a, a blacked out window you know massive van with four like large balloons pre-inflated so that his goal was that even if the cops stopped him he was just going to open the back door and just launch them anyway and and get arrested he was very eager Mm. to do that um but he had pastor eric foley yeah who we're going to have on a podcast very soon yeah yeah he had to he had he was being followed by undercover and and uniformed uh, police and NIS etc uh, so he had to basically hide, when he went home that evening he had to like lower his um, profile beneath the back of the car so that people wow. wouldn't see him and then had to sneak out and then get into this vehicle in a, an unnamed location very very you know a lot of steps to cloak and dagger yeah exactly where did you where did he pick you up then uh, uh, an unspecified location okay very good yep <laughs> But yeah, they uh, they launched the balloons, no problem. They put GPS devices on and showed me the map. They did seem to go into North Korea. And uh, yeah, I mean, I, the goal he said of doing this was to show readers in South Korea that these things are not, dang- they don't have to be dangerous. Mm-hmm. They don't have to be provocative. There were no large banners hanging off the balloons of Kim Jong-un. Yeah, I, I saw him the day before uh, at a press conference at the Voice of the Martyrs office. Uh, and he was very... Um, keen to point out that they don't send anything political. What they actually send is reprints of the exact same text of the North Korean Bible that the North Korean state itself publishes in limited editions. So uh, There is one change I've checked. There is one change. Please. They say um, on the website, Voice of the Martyrs, they change the, the word for God. So I think in South Korea you say Hananim, mm-hmm. and the North Korean Bible uses a different word. And the voice of the martyrs changes it to Hananim in That's the it. in the edition they sent to North Korea. That's good. I'll have to remember that when I get him on the show to ask. And I don't him. think they send the full Bible. No, they, no, they don't. Like they excerpts. The uh, the little um, uh, example that they gave out at the press conference the day before the launch it was uh, the Book of Luke and the Book of Acts. So it's a very slim little uh, paper volume, 
uh, yeah, because obviously the full one coming from uh, literally from the heavens uh, would be quite a, quite, a tome. Uh, quite a tome to fall uh, mm. from the sky. So you want to have something light. Yes. Okay. So that's on the wouldn't one be, hand. That's wouldn't it be great? Wouldn't, sorry, it wouldn't be great if it fell on a harmony doing a gardening. Well, I did ask that. What happens if, because he, he said that these balloons go to twenty to 30,000 feet and then they yeah, to the limits of the atmosphere, yeah. And I thought, well, what if a Bible lands on someone's head that's, you know, killed by the word of, Lord, of mm-hmm. the Lord? And he said that they actually glide down. Yes. But I, my understanding of physics, which is limited and primitive, is that there's something called terminal velocity and everything ultimately reaches it. And that's over 100 miles an hour. Which would I don't think that's true. If you jump out of a plane with a parachute, you don't reach terminal velocity. That's true. <laughs> uh, nor does a paper plane, I presume. Oh, no, I'm thinking of in outer space. Yeah, everything yeah, drops I... at the same, same speed. <laughs> but still, a book, it's going gonna, it's gonna to hurt. I, right. We will definitely uh, go on, on, into that on the, when I get him on the podcast. Uh, All of so, us laughing at me. <laughs> so that so that's the one yeah, group, the religious group, and then we have the political groups. Yes. Are there just two of them, uh, Jongmin? Right now, the most um, high-profile ones are Fighters for Free North Korea (FFNK), which is led by Park Sang-hak, who himself is a defector. Yes, and his brother Park Jong-oh leads Kunsem. The difference between these two groups is that FFNK includes political caricatures and leaflets into the balloons, mm-hmm. reportedly. Um, but Kunsem is only doing like rice bottle launches without oh. the leaflets, but with SD cards and um, dollar bills. The South Korean government is continuing investigation of this group. And um, reportedly, one balloon was actually found by police last week. And oh, then, this is the one that we saw the photographs at Hongchon? It fell down in the Right, train? in Hongchon. And then it didn't include dollar bills. Hmm. So that was one thing that... One, one of the reasons why the Minister of Unification in Seoul was um, telling reporters that this may be a lie, that mm. they have included this number, this large-scale leaflets right. and dollars into the balloon. Yeah, I mean, what, one thing that I think evidences that is they, Park Sung-ak said he launched, it launched 500,000 leaflets across 20 balloons, I think. Mm. Now, the North Koreans are talking about 12 million leaflets yes. and 3,000 balloons, so the math doesn't add up, right? Well, what, what, what do you mean? Well, 20 balloons yes. to launch half a million leaflets. And the North Koreans are saying we they have 12 need. million leaflets being right. launched by 3,000 balloons. So how does that add up? Like, there are two very, very different like numbers of balloon payloads basically going on. Yeah, perhaps the North Koreans are... Wait, hang on. Who's more efficient then? Perhaps the... Park Sung-ak Park, is Park, much Park more Sung-ak efficient. Is more efficient, yeah. The, I mean, you know, helium... The balloons I saw being launched last week, they couldn't have carried more than a small handful of Bibles. No, and, uh, and they don't. Uh, he, um, at the press conference on, on the Wednesday, Pastor Eric Foley said that uh, uh, they they change their numbers of Bibles in, in balloons depending on how far they expect it to go. Uh, so they've worked out that on average, each one of those little uh, extract sort of books take, cost them at 8,000 won to get into North Korea. But uh, yeah, they don't send uh, huge quantities of them because they're expecting that when the balloon blows up, uh, that the wind will, su- or the air, sorry, the, the force of the explosion will scatter them over a wide distance so they don't need to send in large amounts. Whereas uh, when North Koreans send balloons to South Korea, they're actually in little bundles underneath balloons and those bundles have a time charge on them. And when that charge explodes, the leaflets then go over a much smaller distance uh, so that in order to you know, have a wide reach, you really have to send a lot of balloons with a lot of bundles. 
Yeah, with uh, with a lot of time charges. Remember, there was a, a year or two ago they had an actual bundle fell on top of somebody's car without exploding. Yeah, and broke oh, really? the windshield. It was an amazing photograph. It was a it was a whole bundle just came out of the so sky. That Luckily, there is a car. risk. Yeah. That proves there is a risk, um, at least from from large, heavy bundles of bundle uh, of Bibles. Coming no, no, no. These are the North Korean leaflets coming oh. to South Korea. <laughs> Sorry. No, d- different story. Uh, yeah. Different strokes. <laughs> Good callback. Okay. So, um, how then, how did this uh, crisis end itself, Chad? How did it get, well, it hasn't really ended, but how did well, this yeah, phase the, of it the, get resolved? The meeting that we talked about last week, Kim Jong-un overseeing this general, reviewing this KPA general staff plan, which would have been very provocative, uh, he decided to suspend it. And um, I think one sentence was was all that we had describing mm. this there was no uh, explanation of why uh, we got I, I i thought okay there must have been a secret communication from south korea and to justify this huge turnaround in north korean state media we're going to see pyongyang uh, commit to talks and then claim that they gained something to the domestic audience but instead we've seen literally nothing and what if you look at the rodong shinman and other north korean state media over the weekend it was just remarkable how the, the the tone had gone from like just outright widespread anger about South Korea, supposedly from uh, all walks of North Korean public life to literally nothing being talk, mentioned whatsoever. Mm. And Pak Pongju doing inspection visits of uh, minor economic sites. It, it, it's really quite remarkable. And I... I just have no idea what's going on now. Yeah, John, how would you categorize sort of the tone and manner uh, in the sort of early and middle stages of this uh, of this crisis? The, the, sorry, tone and manner of North Korean media. Uh, so, starting with Kim Yo-jong's statement, the North, there were big rallies held in North mm. Korea by like students and youths and all these workers in the factories, and they used banners using these very derogative terms against um, the North Korean defectors. Human like, trash. Hu- not only human trash, but oh. also how they will like rip them apart and kill them. Ah, yes. Um, so there were these very angry voices coming out of Rodong Shimon every single day after mm. that, um, using the f- like whole page as well, like, yeah. like fifth page or the fourth page. But then after Kim Jong-un decided to suspend or defer uh, the military next quote-unquote next action they just got rid of it so it went from like total escalation yep. to just zero so, so the whole should have been ignored you just think about like the pyongyang metro yep. where everyone can read the rodang every day on their way to work i mean just imagine you go every day you're reading about this like supercharged anger and then you just think What's, what was that about it is a bit it confusing yeah that, the, no, the no, messaging. No, no explanation why just the 30 minute hate <laughs> yeah. Well, is this a sign that uh, that North Korea, the North Korean government, doesn't feel it has to explain uh, why the the change in tone and messaging that it's just you know it can do what it likes? I'm I mean, highly speculative. Yeah, it's a great question. question. I mean, it it comes down to you know are there this endless debate about whether or not there is such a thing as hardliners and doves in the mm. North Korean government as well? Are there going to be people in you know factions in the North Korean um, political system and population that will go oh well why didn't we do anything to tell those south koreans off what happened you know uh maybe the doves prevailed and they had a word with kim jong-un and said look your sister's been taking it too far Mm. dial it down a notch um as far as i understand the military 
action plan that they were going to implement was essentially just sending soldiers back to the demilitarized areas. And the joint, um, the, the joint security area at Panmunjom specifically, yeah. right? We were expecting soldiers to come in there. And Kesong right. and Mount Kumgang. Um, and as far as we could tell, it was, we had the surreal sight of the North Koreans reinstalling loudspeakers along the border and then a day or so later taking them down again. It's very unusual. That, to me, suggests that it wasn't just some orchestrated plan mm. of tension raising and more just a confused backtracking on... Maybe they brought tensions too high. Maybe they decided they were taking it too far. Maybe, as Chad said, there was some kind of secret meeting between South Koreans. And, uh, you know, I remember feeling special a bit... envoys going to Pyongyang. Who knows? It's it's really weird, though. I mean, mm. I, would, I felt particularly confused that it, the sense was that Kim Yo Jong was saying, "Here we go. We're preparing for a military thing." And then Kim Jong Un kind of overruled her, says, "No, no, no. We're going to dial it back now." That was, you know, the. Whatever you think about the existence of hawks and doves in North Korea, we don't normally see a messaging in North Korea that shows one member of the Kim family outranking another member of the Kim family saying, no, we're not going to do that. That's quite unusual, isn't right. it? Yeah. And have but, we heard from Kim Yo-jong since, the, since Kim Jong-un dialed it back? Yeah, have we heard from Kim Yo-jong? So she's been silent in the media. Wow, okay. Well, like, but when this whole crisis was being engineered, yeah. the reasons I thought it was being engineered were, were all... Uh, with three things basically one was that it could be a diversion from growing economic problems another it could be a diversion from covid related issues and probably most importantly this was to really push moon to the brink so that he would have to sort of face the international community and say look uh, it's unsustainable this like uh, enforcement of t- uh, total 100 percent sanctions we need to be flexible so that mm. our inter-korean relationship can move forward um but the, where it's been left off we don't we don't see any of those potential motivations right. having uh, none of them now make any sense. Yeah, because North Korea didn't get anything. Right, and right? it's not we've got just sanctions gone relief. Back to normal. It's gone back to so, except for the fact that that building in Kaesong is now destroyed. Yeah, yeah. So it's real, really strange. It, it suggests that it's probably most likely down to some domestic issues that we just don't know about. Yeah, yeah. Here's a question for historians of inter-Korean relations. This this idea that North Korea would bring tensions to the brink to try and extract concessions, quote-unquote, from South Korea, has that ever worked in the past? During the Sunshine Era, was that something that was frequently done? North Korea would start some sort of military beef, raise tensions only for Kim Bejong or Nomi Han to send envoys and promise things? Yeah, I, I looked into 2012 tensions on Lee Myung-bak, 2013 with Park Geun-hye, and 2015 landmine incident. And what was very bizarre was I never saw them seeming to gain anything from it. And When was it that we were we thought we were on the verge of something happening and then suddenly three guys came down to Incheon for the was, Asia Games? That was, uh, well, Asia Games was October 2014, if I remember. Because that was a time of crisis too, yeah. right? And then things suddenly seemed to... Uh, to, to calm down, they had the three guys come down to Incheon, they had these long talks, and then things worked themselves out. But then we had the landmine incident the year 2015, after. 2015, yeah. And, and that also ended in a very similar way with a sudden uh, magnanimous offer for talks. And right. Just my point is, if North Korea is trying to force Moon to, say, reopen the Kaesong Industrial Complex or restart tours at Kumgang, which are the things that it wants, because those are things that make a lot of money, surely this is the wrong way to go about it. If you're blowing up the mm. liaison office. Yeah, what has Moon said about all this? Uh, of course, in the middle of, of this crisis, there was the, the June 15th 
commemoration day, or the commemoration of the joint inter-Korean statement that uh, Kim Dae-jung and Kim Jong-il made back in 2000, uh, he expressed some regret, didn't he, Chung-min? Well, Blue House expressed some regret and also like Ministry of Unification, Ministry of National Defense, they were um, considering it's how it's coming from Moon administration, they were very firm about like like strong regrets or how North Korea will have to pay the price if should they move on to military actions. But Moon Jae-in actually during the speech recently, he said that he said something about peace and unification, how peace should come first before talking about unification. And but didn't that. he also say Kun Ashum or something like that during the speech that he, he expressed his own personal regret about that things weren't going better? Ashita, yeah. Ah. But it's not um, yugam, which is regret. Ah. So the tone is a bit different. But okay. uh, Bun Jong-in actually told reporters on Friday that right after the liaison office was blown up, Bun Jae-in told, uh, President Bun Jae-in told his aides that like express big regret about how North Korea is doing that and how South Koreans will be so upset about that and that like at the moment he couldn't think of any which is a, a good way to resolve the issue mm-hmm. so he was um, pretty um, disappointed about the situation right so so if North Korea thought that it could uh, either drive a wedge between South Korea and the US or force Moon to do a, a, a volta face a volta face Hang on, I forget that. Face. Thank you. <laughs> and about face, uh, they were wrong. Yeah, right. They've, they've, they've achieved nothing. Now but, we have. But they, I, I thought that they were going to push this a lot further, and I think it, it arguably maybe could have it, if they'd really pushed uh, Moon to the brink and made it very, very uncomfortable to be in Seoul. I think there's a, and and they made it really clear that look, if if you can't move on sanctions, this is your future. I think that's a pretty compelling case for Moon to say, why don't we be more flexible in our interpretation of unilateral sanctions and UN sanctions, as all countries are around the world, mm. and and just be a bit more ballsy. I um, think Seoul probably also recognises, though, that dropping concessions like that after a display of aggression from North Korea is not a smart thing to do. It's what they call rewarding bad behavior. Rewarding bad behavior. I know Seoul sometimes does reward bad behavior. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, but not this time. But not, I think this time, I think it just might be a step too far. Now, we did publish uh, an analysis piece by Aidan Foster Carter a couple of days ago in which he said that uh, to him the whole thing seemed to be a manufactured crisis and that, that he didn't uh, take North Korea's anger about the leaflets on face value, didn't he? Right? He said, mm. firstly, because North Korea over the decades has sent millions and millions, if not billions of leaflets, uh, plus also that, that, that North Korea didn't, uh, you know, when, when South Korea immediately started to put pressure on the defected groups and the Christian groups to stop sending stuff to North Korea, North Korea didn't take that uh, as a sign of good faith. Yeah, well, the leaflets didn't, the leaflet launches didn't stop though, right? No, but the, the, uh, sort of the, the government harassment of the leaflet senders did increase. Right? I mean, sure. we've got, for example, the uh, the governor E.J. Myung of Gyeonggi Province announcing that he'll uh, he'll uh, launch a financial audit on the Voice of the Martyrs and uh, some of these other groups, the Fighters for Free North Korea, they've had their uh, status as a as sure. a foundation or an organisation uh, cancelled, so they've effectively ceased to exist in a way. There's which a hearing should... on that today. Oh, okay. So, but but there is you know there are things going on to try to prevent and discourage leaflet. Uh... But th- th- this is an interesting point though, because if you were to take the North Korean argument at face value, and this really was just about leafleting, surely in state media and 
since last Wednesday, they would have been bragging about how they've, you know, the, they, the South Koreans have been kowtowed into mm. uh, submission and that these this uh, vile activity has been uh, made illegal and uh, people like Park Sung-Haka are going to face justice. Uh, you, you know, that surely some of that, that kind of flavor would be introduced to justify the, the turnaround, but it's... Right, and there hasn't been, which suggests, which is, I think, why Aidan Foster Carter concluded that it's all internal, isn't it? That, that was mm. what I took away from it, that it's uh, it's internal motivations, uh, whereas, you know, often over the decades we've seen North Korea using various pretexts for getting angry, uh, and in this case it happens to be leaflets and Bibles, but it could just as easily have been, you know, BBC broadcasting in Korean language or, you know, but, or something um, else. You know, I, I think sometimes you also do need to believe North Korea when it says that it's angry about certain things, right? I think, obviously, North Korea will use certain pretenses to raise tensions, but at the same time, North Korea is very honest sometimes about its about why it's annoyed about certain things. And I think there's a there's a case to be made that, you know, the two Koreas agreed to stop these leaflets during the, in the Panmunjom Declaration in 2018. Seoul kind of, at the time, said it would put a stop to them. I mean, the South Korean government's trying to stop, been trying to stop these leaflets since what, 2015? The Park and Hay administration was trying to, trying um, to crack down no, on them. Norman Hyun cracked down on them yeah. in 2004. So yeah. this is an ongoing thing. This is an ongoing uh, thing. Um, you know, the liberals in South Korea have never been particularly fond of them. Neither have people that neither have been people that live in the neighbor, the areas where these balloons are launched from. Um, we should we should point out to our, to our listeners though that. Uh, uh, up until about the early two, up until two thousand four, um, it was the North Korean and the South Korean states that were Indeed. sending leaflets both ways across the border, uh, and from the mid two thousand, so from the period, the first period of sunshine between Kim Dae Jong and Kim Jong Il, uh, the South Korean state stopped, and South Korean civic groups, mainly uh, defectors and and church groups, they took over and and began to do it uh, off their own bat with their own funding, and, you have and to this think is what in in that context as well. You know, the North Korean government, North Koreans always say, well, South Korea should just stop the leaflets, blah, 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 blah. And South Korea will say, well, it's not us launching the leaflets, it's civic groups. Right. But from the North Korean perspective, you know, North Korean civic groups are not civic groups. Civic yeah. groups, they're government. Well, they, they don't have autonomy. They don't have autonomy. And in the North Korean worldview, they may very well think mm. that South Korean civic groups are exactly the same. I, I yeah I what? think that I think that the South Korean that's right the North Korean leadership knows a bit more about how South Korean society works and sure, they know that, but they uh, may also see this as a kind of there's plausible deniability there but North Korean state media's official logic about this why they were so pissed off about South Koreans not stopping them and stopping them is that after Minister of Unification and other government agencies started cracking down on these um, anti DPRK leafletters. North Korea state media started talking about how it was already too late. Mm. Um, so it means that they were angry even when the South Korean government was clamping down on these groups. It means to North Korea that they had the power all the time until now, and then they just didn't do it after Panmunjom declaration. So they were able to do with this legislative stuff and the police investigation and all that, but they didn't do it. So the, that was the that was the reason for them. The question that occurs to me that probably our listeners are wondering about is between the period of the Panmunjom Declaration in 2018 and this most recent crisis, were there no leaflets coming uh, going from South Korea into North Korea by these civic groups, by the Fighters for Free North Korea, by Kunsen? 
It they, was. They were. They were. So they were. I, I've seen like uh, there were bottle launches by Kinsem. They were doing them pretty regularly. Yeah. I know Voice the Martyrs tried to do leaflet launches. Um, and I, but the question is whether Pak Song Hak was doing any of those higher profile. I, I don't know the answer to that. Um, but yeah, they seized upon that. But it, it's not like there was a two year period during which nothing was coming from South Korea into North Korea. You could, I mean, if we cut out Pak Song Hak from the discussion for a minute, you could argue that the stuff that Pinsen was doing, rice, not that provocative, mm-hmm. Bibles from Voice of the Masters with no anti-regime messages. Um, the Plum and Jump Declaration says leaflets. Yeah. But so, the, as, as Chad said, bottles containing Bibles and rice, North Korean authorities probably don't love it, but it's diff- that's different from a big leaflet that says Kim Jong-un and his family should be executed, blah, 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 blah. Chongmin, you've read the text of the Panmunjom Declaration. Is the word Jondanji? Tebuk Jondan. Not not Tebuk Jondan, but Jondan and loudspeaker. Okay. So would a Bible book be considered part of Jondan? Depends on how they want to interpret it. But it could be, though, couldn't it? Yeah, because... It it literally means it's being transmitted. Well, but that's the thing about how VOMK is arguing against that logic is mm. that it was already pre-approved by the DPRK government, ah. the, the Bible, although they the, changed the The text the word. of the Bible, yeah. right, yeah. Now, what we, ha- we haven't mentioned yet is that the, uh, the result of this crisis, at least in South Korea, was that the unification minister lost his job because of all this. So tell us a bit about that, Jong-min. Who was the unification minister? How long had he been in that position? And why did he resign? He has been a unification minister since last year, I believe. What was his name? Uh, Kim Yeon-chol. Okay. Not to be confused with Kim Yong-chol, no. who is famous in North Korea for <laughs> maybe blowing up the Chonan and also the shelling of uh, Yonkyong Island. Mm. But Kim Yeon with an N, Yon-chol. Okay. Mm. So Kim Yong-chol um, offered his resignation after the liaison office blew up, mm. saying that he wants to take responsibility of the recent escalation of inter-Korean crisis. Um, and so it's fault. Yeah, but that's how just the way it goes in South Korean politics. When something goes wrong, mm-hmm. someone, someone in has to charge, fall on the sword. Yeah, someone in charge has to tender their resignation, wow. um, trying to de-escalate stuff. In but South it wasn't Korea. immediately clear whether President Moon would accept that resignation, right? I think I, I wasn't there a rumor that uh, that Kim Yong Chol had uh, um, organized his own farewell event that had to be cancelled because President Moon didn't receive the didn't accept the resignation. First, I heard about that. But, okay. I believe that's Chong Yong report. Oh. Um, there's a rumor that Chong Yong is maybe resigning, but that's only rumor. Okay, but it, it did. Ta- I think it did take at least a day between the tendering of the resignation and a the day. acceptance of the resignation, didn't it? So uh, President Moon could have said, "No, you know, you didn't do anything wrong. You could stay in power, uh, stay in your position." Uh, what kind of message does that send to South to North Korea that the South Korean Unification Minister took the rap for this uh, blowing up of the of the Inter Korean Liaison Office? Well, maybe it goes to what Oliver was saying earlier that uh, they there's precedence now, and they know that they mm. can get people to resign in future. If- right? Is that a rule? Is that a rule? No. Is that a reward for bad behaviour? I don't think the North Koreans particularly care who the unification minister is. <laughs> I, I feel the same no way. I don't think the- I don't think they care. Like even South Koreans don't. I'm sorry. 
Mr. Kim, but mm -hmm. if even South Koreans don't really care who the unification minister is, why would North? But then it is a bit of a poison chalice, isn't it? I mean, what South Korean man with or woman with ambition would want to be the next unification minister, knowing that if North Korea does something angry, that they could lose their job because of it? Well, that's the thing about unification ministers. They are, they are usually people who were previously researchers, um, PhDs, mm. professors, and they sort of get dragged into that position, even when they don't <laughs> want to, usually. And then that's why they become so um, anti, anti like like incumbent government DPRK policy after they resign or they oh. get off the position. Like look at Unification Minister Lee Jong Seok or Jung Seon, former ministers. Mm -hmm. They talk a lot about how Minister Ministry of Unification Unification should do this or that because they are they know how powerless the post is. Right. Yeah, and that's, that's a bigger issue, isn't it? Sort of a structural issue that the unification ministry is often sidelined uh, between yeah. uh, when it comes to inter-Korean relations, inter-Korean discussions, uh, anything sort of more broadly regional or, uh, I mean, or global discussions yeah, about North Korea. I've, I've heard it be said it's kind of the lowest on the totem pole. You have Blue House, NIS, military, foreign ministry, and our friends at the Ministry of Unification. Usually my... My sense was that whenever there is inter-Korean stuff that the government has to say something about, the Blue House and the Minister of uh, Foreign Affairs, they just um, decline to comment anything on inter-Korean relations. Mm -hmm. And then Minister of Ministry of Unification says something about it. But then when we ask something, like to confirm something, high, like high-profile information, Minister of Ministry of Unification just can't say anything. Yeah, I actually uh, reached out to the Ministry of Unification Ministry of Unification last week. Hello to Mr. Ha, if you're listening, uh, and uh, and asked for someone to come on the podcast and explain to us what is current government policy and how's it working. And they said, "Oh no, no, it's too soon now, too soon, wrong time. You know, we've just lost our minister. Everything's in a state of flux. So, uh, we won't be having anyone on from the ministry for quite some time, I think." Well, fair enough. What's that? Fair enough. Yeah. All right. Well, then, uh, to sort of bring this to a bit of a close, what, where are we in the year? We know we're at the end of June. Uh, we've just had the 70th anniversary of the Korean War. Um, we have coming up in July, of course, the 67th anniversary of the armistice signing. Can July we? July 27th. Yeah, July 27th. Yeah. Can we expect anything to happen then? No, I think the, the big one coming up is October 10th. Uh, uh, we also have 75 years of liberation on August 15th. So many of these anniversaries, yes. aren't there? And so, 75 is a big one. Yeah. It is a Every biggie. day is a holiday in North Korea, honestly. They can make any single day a holiday. Like Kim Jong-un visited the shoe factory. Yeah. Shoe factory day. That was a good day. <laughs> uh, it was, yeah. I would say, well, if Kim Jong-un's been having health problems, um, he'll probably lay low for a little bit longer. If not, we'll see him emerge. This is a time of year when Kim Jong-un likes to do on-the-spot visits. Mm. And today is an important day for him personally as well because it's the fourth anniversary of him becoming SAC chairman. Oh, that's today. That's yeah. the... Hang on. SAC once more is the... State, State Affairs Commission. State Affairs Commission, which is the... That was the, the body that took over from the... National the military, Defense Commission. National Defense Commission, which uh, Kim Jong-il was in, uh, in charge of. Indeed. Okay, so the State Affairs Commission. And that was how many years ago today? Four Four years ago, they became the boss of that one. Okay. Yeah, so. I, I mean, it's just a, a hunch, but something about the weirdness of the recent days makes it feel a bit like calm before the storm, in my opinion. 
Is that a, uh, an emergency warning coming through the speaker yes, system? Yes, it right is. Now? Corona, another Corona one. Oh, okay. Pale is red and you can't have a moment's silence. Uh, Chad Stradamus, I, I'd like to give you, you know, our, our famous uh, Chad Oracle, not Chad O'Carroll, uh, I'd like to ask you uh, to give us another um, you know, hot tweet type uh, prediction for what may come up in the next couple of days. Chad Oracle. Yeah, Chad Oracle. Uh, no, I won't. I, I won't do that. Oh, <laughs> I like Chad <laughs> I think Oliver should make a prediction. Oliver, um, I predict that uh, nothing will happen for the next week. It's not going to be quiet. for the next week. Yeah, it's okay. going to be had all this craziness, and then you normally have like a week or so when North Korea like recharges, and then then late then the new drama emerges. Okay, but we are three weeks into Kim Jong Un not appearing. So if it's one more week of him not appearing, that would be, you know. Well, I think he might appear. I think he might do like a, you know, fish factory visit or something like that. Oh, fish factory. Well, I know Oliver, you're going to have a separate podcast with Jacko, but yes. just curious after six, seven years of following this meandering mm. Korean drama, how do you how do you feel about the storyline, the position you're leaving it? Um, That's right, because uh, for our listeners here, Oliver is uh, is moving away to uh, to Hong Kong. Indeed, uh, the, um, quiet, the quietude of, uh, of Hong Kong. <laughs> nothing much going on there. It's going to be pretty uh, be quiet. Um, so when I started in this job, when I moved to Seoul, um, it was the 2017. It was the beginning of Fire, Fire and, Fury. and Fury, and Park Geun was impeached, um, and it feels like not much has really changed. Mm-hmm. Not much. Um, we had an inter-Korean liaison office, but now it's... Now we don't. Now we don't. Um, I think, you know, anyone that's, you know, you speak to people that have followed this topic for decades, like Jacko here and Andre, and they'll tell you, uh, Andre Lankov, they'll tell you that often it feels like these things go in circles. Yes. Uh, and that's where we'll leave it today. Thank you very much. Thank you for joining me, Chad, Jongmin, Oliver. Thank you. And uh, thanks also to Arias, our post-recording producer genius, who will get this thing up and ready uh, on the, the website within a matter of hours. Removing the extraneous noises and bodily... Bodily functions and uh, tapping of tables. <laughs> Sorry, Arias. Listen again next time. Thank you. Bye-bye. involved in the production of this podcast were partially funded by the Uni Korea Fund, for which we are extremely grateful.